It's amazing how the earth is ending so differently every day. New York Jews can't help but be sarcastic when we're confronted with insanity. The title of this message is Sleepers, Arise and Shine. Originally, Hanukkah referred to the dedication of the altar in, in the first temple, Solomon's temple. It was recorded in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. It was called Hanukkah HaMizbeach the dedication of the altar. When Solomon had finished all the construction, the altar was the last item in the first temple to be consecrated. Solomon prayed, and fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifices that were laid out on that altar. God's Shekhinah, his dwelling presence, was so intense that all of Israel was brought to their knees before Ananai HaKavod, the clouds of glory that filled the temple. It was overwhelming. The Ohel Moed, the tent of the meeting in the wilderness, was sanctified by God in a similar fashion. We lived in Sukkot, or these tents, these temporary dwellings, for our 40-year journey, and the glory of the Lord accompanied us for that 40 years in his Sukkot, in his tent, his temporary dwelling. Essentially, during that time of the 40 years, he was there to restore the faith of a new generation, that we would see him even as Avraham did, as Adonairah, the Lord our provider. Today the word Hanukkah is mostly associated with the late celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, that is recorded in 1st and 2nd Maccabees, when Yehuda purified the second temple with fire and dedicated the altar of God once again. Noteworthy is that God's presence did not sanctify that altar by igniting the sacrifice himself with fire from heaven. We didn't see a supernatural ignition upon that altar. It was not consumed by heaven's fire. The prophet Haggai spoke of God's diminished presence in the second temple. In the seventh month, which is the holy month, it contains Rosh Hashanah, or the time of the remembering the trumpet blasts. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, Sukkot, Tabernacles, and Shmini Atzeret, the day that followed Tabernacles, the eighth day. These were all the holy days, all the fall holy days fall in, in Tishra. In the seventh month, God commands Haggai to speak to the remnant of his people in Israel. Haggai chapter 2, verse 3, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not like nothing in your eyes? The second tem temple was diminished by two rather obvious deficits. First, the fire, the heavenly fire or angel's fire, did not ignite that altar and consume the sacrifice upon it. 
And secondly, the Holy of Holies did not contain the original ark that had the tablets that God gave to Moshe, had the manna, that the angel's food that fell from the heavens, and it did not contain Adam's rod that budded, which is a poetic way to say the staff that Aaron had came alive. It began to bud and flower. However, the Lord does encourage Israel and tells them not to fear. His spirit remains in our midst. His breath still fills us with life. Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and what is desired by all the nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give you peace. It's reminiscent of the Bikat HaKohanim, the priestly blessing that the Lord says, and I will give you peace. Many of my people believe that the greater glory that God speaks of here will be the glory of King Mashiach, King Messiah. The Son of God would once walk in the midst of the sons of men and visit the holy house again. This time God's Shekhinah, his dwelling presence, would not be shrouded in clouds of glory, but by a garment of flesh. And during this time of year, many of us remember the birth of the Prince of Peace, Sar HaShalom, the Prince of Peace. Yeshua is the fulfillment of God's priestly benediction. He said to Moshe, you will pronounce these words over the children of Israel, and in this way I'll put my name over them. Our sages throughout the years have identified seven feasts of dedication, seven feasts of Hanukkah. And two of those deal with light. The first, of course, is the Hashmonian, the Hanukkah that took place, the feast of dedication that took place in the intertestamental period. Josephus calls it Chag Ha'ur, the feast of light. The coming of Mashiach, would share that moniker. When Messiah comes, it will also be a dedication, a feast of light. In John chapter 1, verse 4, it declares, the scriptures declare Yeshua's fulfillment of this understanding. In him was life, and that life was the light of man. Hanukkah is a time when Israel rose up and threw off the yoke of their oppressors, when sleepers arose, when the light of God pierced the darkness of man. Those who sleep take a number of different forms. There are the heathen, carnal creatures who have no awareness of God. They either have no neshama or their neshama, that breath of God, has been so diminished within them that God is not a a conscious thought in their reality. He plays no part in how they behave. 
there are those who are open to the idea of God. They're almost persuaded to be a believer. Those like Agrippa in Acts chapter 26. Paul is speaking about the Lord Yeshua. And Agrippa says, hmm, I'm almost persuaded. But he's unwilling to take that next step. And then, of course, there are believers who have strayed from the path of righteousness and are unconscious concerning their present condition. They're deluded, like those at Sardis, the church of Sardis in, in Revelation chapter 3. They, they have a reputation. They think they are alive, and Yeshua says, but you are dead. You're not alive. You're deluded. Very similar to the parable of the seeds, which describes how different people react to the word of God planted in their hearts. The birth of Yeshua, as well as Yochanan who preceded him, was a shofar blast designed to awaken the sleeper. The truah, the, the shout that could not go unnoticed. All would hear it. It's just a question of how each individual would respond to that shout. Luke provides us the context for the birth of both Yochanan Hamakbil, John the Baptist, as well as Yeshua. Zechariah and Elizabeth were both are both described in the Greek as being perfect or blameless before God. In the Hebrew, of course, that would be tan, the urim v'tumin, the lights and perfections of God. Two others share that, that particular uh, description. Noach was tam. He was blameless before God. But tam also means simple, perfect. And Jacob, Yaakov, was also described as a simple man living in tents. And the word for simple there is also tam, perfect, blameless before God. Zechariah and Elizabeth are old. They're getting on in years and they had no children, which was a source of no small embarrassment in ancient Israel. Zechariah was one of tens of thousands of priests during the first century. A priest could spend his entire life waiting to minister one time in the temple. The lots were cast, and Zechariah was chosen to burn the incense in the golden bowl or the golden censer or the golden altar. It's translated a number of different ways. It is a uh, piece of gold that is hammered out. There are openings in it that allows the, the light and the fragrance to escape. Frankly, it's quite similar to uh, the incense that the uh, Catholics use in their service. He had prayed for most of his life to behold the coming of Mashiach. But he came to a place in his old age where that hope was no longer in the front of his mind. When he was younger, 
this was a desperate hope. The longer he prayed and the longer that prayer went unanswered, that, that prayer went to the back of his mind, if you will. It was no longer in the forefront. He lit the incense with a glowing coal, or actually he sprinkled the incense over a glowing coal that came from the altar of sacrifice, and he just stood for a moment. This was the procedure as it is described in the writings of, uh, of my people. He stood for a moment bathed in the soft glow of the light from the seven-branched menorah. The smoke from the golden censer rose gently upward, carrying all the hopes and the desires, as well as the fears of God's people. After absorbing as much of this blessed silence and stillness that he could hold, he would have bowed and backed away from the altar of incense that stood before the entrance to the Holy of Holies, that four-inch wide curtain that would eventually be split in two. He would come to the curtain and emerge from the curtain at the top of the ramp that led from the holy place down to the court of Israel that contained the altar of sacrifice. However, as he backs away, his steps are arrested when he beholds a creature of light standing to the right side of the altar. Now, the fear that Zechariah felt was not simply at being startled by the appearance of this this angelic appearance, this luminescent being appearing. It was a tradition of our people that the Lord would appear to his priests from the side of the altar of incense. If, if the appearance was on the left, the service of the priest was accepted. The angel appeared on the right, the service of the priest was not accepted, and he would die. And that's why Zechariah is so afraid. Gabriel appears on the right side of the altar. Gabriel informs this terrified priest not to be afraid and announces that God has heard his prayers, that he will be the father of the forerunner of Mashiach, the one who would come in the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the father back to the children and the hearts of the children back to the father. This answer to Zechariah's prayer is not met with faith. Instead of praise for God hearing his prayers, there is doubt. How will I know? Since I and my wife are old. Quite reminiscent of Sarah at the announcement of the birth of Yitzchak. Gabriel appears annoyed. He gives a description of who he is. And because Zechariah did not open his mouth in praise of God, the sign that he sought would be silence, the inability to speak. Since you won't open your mouth in prayer, I will shut your mouth and you will not be able to speak. 
after some time, Zechariah emerges to take his stand at the top of the ramp which led from the holy place to the court of Israel where the altar is. The pieces of the sacrifices are arranged in proper order on that altar. And the people are waiting to hear Bechat HaKohanim, the priestly blessing pronounced by Zechariah. Zechariah tries to speak the words of the benediction, unconscious that Gabriel's words have already been fulfilled. And the people, the scriptures say, are aware that he had seen a vision because of his silence. They knew something happened behind that curtain. Elizabeth needed no such sign. She believed and rejoiced immediately, but went into seclusion for five months with her husband, sequestered to the God who removed her reproach from before men. Gabrielle also came to a young maiden not too long after, a young maiden named Miriam. Approached her after the conception of John and greeted her and his words are words I would long to hear at the appearance of the Lord. Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. All my worries are over. Mary, Miriam, also feared at the appearance of this glorious one. She too was told not to fear. She also was told that she would bear a son and she too was given his name Yeshua, for he will save his people. She also expressed doubt. How can this be? I am a virgin. But her doubt was the doubt of a young maiden. Her doubt was tolerated by God because she was judged by a different standard than the older priest. Once again, seek not many of you to be teachers your judgment will be under a different set of rules, stricter, more precise. Mary was told that her relative Elizabeth was also pregnant, and she hurried to see Elizabeth and tell her what she had heard from the same angel that Elizabeth had talked to, Gabriel. And as soon as Miriam opens her mouth, John leaps in Elizabeth's womb. And Elizabeth speaks, Blessed are you amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Elizabeth gives birth, and on the eighth day, brings her child to be circumcised and to receive his name. Amongst the Jews, I didn't have a name for eight days. You are born, and you don't receive your, your name until your circumcision, when you are inducted into Knesset Yisrael, the Assembly of Israel. And everyone who is gathered there to rejoice at this, this simcha, this, this great joy, is astonished when Elizabeth says, the name of this child is Yochanan, 
And the reason they're astonished is for the same reason, you know, this tradition has lasted since before Yeshua and to this very day. Jews named their children after a relative, and there was nobody in their family named Yochanan, John. They don't believe Elizabeth, and they go to uh, Zechariah, and is this what you want? And Zechariah writes on a tablet, his name is Yochanan. And as soon as he wrote that, his tongue was loosed. And he began to praise God, Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 69. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the holy wind and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. And he has raised up the horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. The glory of God in this second temple was now beheld, and indeed, as it was prophesied, it was even greater than the glory of the first temple. The prophecy was fulfilled. The Son of God dwelt in that temple. At the birth of John and Yeshua, there was a shaking of the world and it awoke those who slept. John, to the need for repenting or returning to the Lord, Yeshua to the blessed promise of being reconciled to God. From common people to priests, they heard the glad tidings of good news. Yochanan, God's grace, had been born. Yeshua, God's salvation, was coming. It matters little what your opinion of which day God appeared in the flesh. Doesn't matter. Whatever day you choose, you have a 365.25 chance of being right. Amen. Amongst men, this is important. Yet scripture regards the date as a small matter, unworthy of note. The scriptures remain silent about that day. Everybody has their opinions. People argue about it. I have my own opinions, but I won't argue about it because even when we're all done arguing, we still don't know. Amen. And when you get old, wasting time is not a useful no. endeavor. What the word does proclaim is that a child was given to us and his name will reveal all that he came to accomplish. Emmanuel, God is with us. Yeshua, God has brought his salvation to man. With the birth of Yeshua, the messianic age was ushered in. Is different verbiage amongst the Jews than there is amongst the Christians. The Messianic age is not the thousand-year kingdom. That's called the day of the Lord. The Messianic age emerges with the appearance of Mashiach ben Yosef, the first Messiah who would come to Israel, the one who would suffer, the one who would die, the one who would become a sacrifice 
with a holy nation. The age of salvation. It was Hayuval, the Jubilee year, when all debts were forgiven and everything was restored to its original condition. His birth was the beginning of the end of the fallen creation. A period of time that would culminate in Hatikun, the restoration of that creation. It was a time that the creation eagerly, eagerly awaited for since the moment it was first cursed for the sake of man back in Genesis. A time whose crescendo will be the revealing of the sons of God, the new Jer Jerusalem and the marriage supper of the land. Those before Yeshua awaited his birth. Those of us who came after await his return when all of this, we shall behold the fulfillment of all of this. Those who first came to worship him were prophets of a sort. Jewish shepherds languishing in a field heard the word of the Lord and went to see the child. An angel appears to them and his light shines round about. They are immersed in this pool of light and those shepherds are drawn to the one who was born in the manger, in a cave. They went to see the child. They went to worship him. Two years later, Meiji from Babylon arrived bearing gifts to worship him. One wonders, what would Meiji, it's a word we get our, our word magic from, what would Meiji, these Babylonian soothsayers, what would they know about Mashiach? Why are they looking for the coming of Messiah? They remembered the words of Daniel. Daniel rose up with his interpretations and with his, his blessed knowledge of God. He ascended to a position where he was the head of a school in Babylon. What do you suppose Daniel taught these wise men in Babylon? He taught them the scriptures. Why were they looking for the star of Mashiach? They remembered from the book of Bemidbar, the book of Numbers, chapter 24. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth out of Yaakov, and a scepter shall rise up out of Israel. They were looking for the sign that Messiah would be born. The sign is called a star. The star was not a huge, gaseous ball of nuclear fusion. A star can give us a direction. 
But it's not a GPS. It can't lead us to a specific location. We have a North Star. And for millennium, people have been guided by the North Star to different locations. It gives us a direction. It's a compass. But this star led them to a very specific place and hovered over the top of it. The smallest star is millions of times the size of the Earth. And it's kind of warm. Stars don't hover over places. The word star and the word angel are interchangeable in the scriptures. We see this all the time. Revelation 12, the devil took a third of the stars of heaven and they, they followed him when the serpent of old was cast down to the earth. If you have a third of the stars in heaven all coagulating above the earth, believe me, the earth doesn't exist anymore. You, you don't have to be a physicist. Obviously, this is a metaphor. The serpent of old takes a third of the angelic creatures who have fallen, who have rebelled against God. They're now called demons. And those are the ones that are cast down to the earth. And the Lord says, woe to those who live on the earth for the deceiver, the accuser of man. It now dwells among humanity. Jew and Gentile, those who are near the shepherds, those who are far off the Meiji from Babylon, call to worship the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who is called to be King of Israel. There's an extraordinary line from a simply remarkable song, Mary, did you know, when you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. That, that line tugs at my heart like no other line from any other song I have ever heard. Mary was the first one to fulfill, literally, Psalm 2. Many of your Bibles would say, pay homage or show respect to the Son. But that's not what it says in Scripture. Psalm 2 says, Nashkubar, kiss the son, lest he be angry. Mary was the first one to fulfill that, literally. She would not be the last. Many from Israel and the nations would desire to kiss the son and call him Dodi, my beloved. They are the ones who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Awaken this day from slumber. Yes, as man reckons time, it's been a long time since Yeshua first left and said, I will be, I'll come back shortly. We got to define the word shortly. God's reckoning of short and my reckoning of short it's not the same 
We are rapidly approaching the fulfillment of the words of Scripture when our Lord will return in glory. A time when Messiah will return to set up his kingdom, ushering in the day of the Lord, a thousand years of praise and peace. When Bechat HaKohanim will be visible. Prepare yourselves for the day of the Lord is at hand. Rise up for the glory of God has risen upon you if you believe his son has come. And allow that glory to shine forth and illuminate the hearts and the minds and the souls of every single person you come across. You know, our brother has just died. Powerful man of God. I, I knew Jeff 30 years. He worked God into every single conversation that he ever had. He and I used to go out. We used to go down Colfax various hotels where the homeless were and we would prepare a meal for Christmas or for uh, Thanksgiving. We'd hand out food. No matter what the conversation started with, you could be assured of one thing. It would end with the name of Yeshua. He declared the name of Yeshua before men and I am absolutely certain that God has heard Yeshua declare his name before him. Reveal the one you call Savior, the one you call Lord, the one you call Beloved. Be bold. For as you speak his name before men, he speaks yours before his Father. No matter what shame or tribulation you might receive for declaring the name of, of Yeshua here, it is a small thing compared to the glory that you will bask in for all eternity. We are rapidly approaching a time when preaching truth will be banned from this world. <laughs> Last week I spoke truth. I didn't exaggerate. I didn't make anything up. My research was thorough. And tonight we're not on YouTube anymore. See, I didn't follow the guidelines. I differed in my opinion on a subject from the medical community. I joined the ranks of all the frontline doctors who were also banned. I feel kind of proud. I have no uh, 
I seek the approval of only one Jew. Yes. You sure? And if I'm wrong, I will incur a stricter judgment, certainly. The time is coming and is now here when pre preaching truth and reality will get you in some hot water. Don't give it another thought. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for so they persecuted prophets, apostles, anyone who speaks the truth. We're watching this. We are here. This is no longer in the future. We have arrived. Be bold in your assertion. Yeshua, who Adon, Jesus, he is Lord. Father, in Yeshua's name, fill us with your spirit, your wind. Open our mouths that we might speak boldly of you. Do not let the watchman be shy. Lord God, come quickly. We desperately need to see you in Yeshua's precious name. Amen.